It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Call them 801-747-LEES. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our good friend, Sam Amick. What's happening, Sam? Jake, how you doing, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, There's a lot to get to. Um, I want to talk about your latest and talk about what Adam Silver had to say yesterday. And uh, but first, I want to ask you about Game One of the Finals. But let me read a a paragraph um, from your latest that I think gives us an idea of your thoughts. Uh, You wrote this: "The rest of us had to stay and watch that god awful game, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that my mind wandered throughout." Uh, Not a great Game One uh, to to watch there, Sam. I take it. Yeah, it's funny. I got some Laker fans hitting me up saying, what are you talking about? It was a great game, you know. Um, obviously one-sided. Um, and it's funny, in general, I felt like they, the bubble has been so good in terms of the basketball. And there was something mentally about getting to the final stage. And again, they're they're making the best of a a tough situation, but it, the finals is typically an electric environment. And yesterday was different, um, you know. And, and part of the reason I wrote about Adam Silver and some of his thoughts is that really Adam being here for the first time and sharing his perspective on what might come next and the issues the league faces, like that was really the only kind of finals esque feeling part of it. And uh, other than that, it was what unfortunately so far looks like a, a one sided series. We'll see if that continues, but. Uh, you know, just not much drama at all in the game. And some injuries that uh, that aren't promising really for the Miami Heat. But I, I've got to be honest, Sam. I'm I'm rooting for Miami because I'm rooting for the concept. You know, you, where you don't have to have the best player in the league, and you can play this team basketball, and you can have a great coach and good leadership. And I think they're fun to watch, et cetera, et cetera. And, but it, you know, the Lakers look like they really overmatched them. How does how do the Heat stay in this series? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you got Goran Dragic and Sam Adebayo both doubtful for tomorrow's games. I mean, I just, I mean, to me, not to be doom and gloom for the Heat, but it's it's a wrap if that's the case. You know, I, I just don't see. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a fantastic player, but part of his greatness this year has been empowering the people around him. And Goran and Bam are two of those people. And you know, Tyler Hero's a nice young player, but. You hit the final stage and you get reminded that you know a player like Tyler is a rookie and he's gonna be uh, you know a little shook like rookies really kind of should be in that environment. Then you had Duncan Robinson, who you know, another incredibly young guy who's never been here before. So it's it's uh, I mean that all showed itself yesterday. So I don't know how they stay in it, especially when LeBron and, and Anthony Davis in particular right now, they just have such a chemistry as people and you combine that with their talent and, and the reality that, you know, it's two of the top five players in the league, arguably, and it, I don't know how the Heat get through that. Well, and they certainly seem extraordinarily focused. I mean, you know, the, the Lakers played really well. They really did. 
And uh, LeBron, uh, one thing, Sam, I've liked about his total approach this year with Anthony Davis, it's, you know, Anthony, you go have yourself a game. And if you need me to support you in any way, shape, or form, I'm here. And and it really, I mean, it, it really clicked. And you could tell LeBron yelling at the bench to not get too excited that they've got to got to stay focused. I mean, it seems like their mind's in the right place. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that's where LeBron in particular, you know, I think, like, I, I picked the Lakers to win the series in seven. Now, of course, it seems like, you know, a much longer series than it might be. But the thing I think I underestimated was that, like, just LeBron's spirit and that idea that, you know, that, that he's hitting this stage and realizing that, that he could secure championship number four and his first title with the Western Conference team and, you know, his third title in terms of a, you know, a, a third franchise. Those are the kinds of things that it, it, his already great legacy is going to be added to yet again. And the Anthony Davis component, and the being locked in, being focused, it's contagious. You know, and LeBron, it starts with him. But AD was fantastic yesterday. And, and this guy, I told somebody at the media session today that I said, you know, for one, LeBron is just so good for the most part in media sessions. He talks for 20-plus minutes today on a dozen different topics, and I thought he was insightful and substantive. Um and then you see Anthony Davis do similar things. And it's like, I told the person, you know, AV was not like that uh, even a couple of years ago. It was not very good in the media setting. He, he was looking for the exit. He was looking at his phone. Uh, and so they rub it off on one another. And AV wants that first championship. Like somebody asked him, uh, you know, because LeBron had talked about how their friendship works because there's no jealousy and that the idea of helping one another they're genuine. Somebody said, you know, lightheartedly, if you were jealous of one thing, what might it be? And he said, well, he's got a championship, and I don't. And, uh, you know, that's what Anthony is trying to fix. So the synergy between them is, I think, again, going to be pretty tough for Miami to get past. Sam Amick with us uh, from The Athletic, and I do want to talk to you about uh, Commissioner Silver, and uh, you've written about it at, at great length up there at The Athletic, and would encourage our, our listeners to make sure and, and check it out. But pulling off the bubble was, was a huge feat. There's no doubt about it. But even after this is all said and done, uh, Sam, there's a lot of work to be done to get prepared to, to play next year. Was What was Silver's tone, I guess, is my question. Did he sound optimistic, pessimistic uh, about pulling off another grand feat? Um, He sounded humble in terms of not having the answers. He he talked, you know, for quite some time. The the quote sheet, you know, the transcription that the league puts out, I noticed that it was eight pages, a lot of questions. and he, and he, you know, and this is after a long opening statement. But the, one of the quotes I used that you kind of mentioned is uh, my old colleague at USA Today, Jeff Zilgit, had asked him about potential start dates, potential end dates, uh, and just clarity. And his first answer was, "I I don't have answers to most of your questions." You know, and, and that's where the league is at. Is I even I texted a, a GM yesterday before Adam's press conference. And I'll do this occasionally because, honestly, people within within the league, a lot of times they have questions for somebody like Adam that they don't politically feel like they can ask. So I I texted the GM and I said, you got any questions that 
that somebody in your position would want answered right now? And I got a response back that was like, no, because Adam doesn't have the answers, because nobody can. You don't know what's going to happen with the virus. You don't know what's going to happen with a vaccine, with saliva testing and rapid results that could help uh, possibly get fans back in the stands. And um, I think the one thing that really struck me, and I, I did try to highlight this in the column, is that the, the surroundings right now, you know, specifically the NFL and, and the Titans having to push their game back yesterday because of COVID, you know, positive tests for their players, that concerns the NBA because it's like, the, you know, the players are unofficially talking like we're, there's no way the NBA is doing another bubble. Nobody wants another bubble. They don't want to be away from their families. It's too jarring, too much isolation, all that stuff. But then you see the NFL struggle when they're allowing their players to to go home and sleep in their own bed and be out in the community. And, and you ask yourself, like, okay, well, nobody really wants a bubble, but you don't want that either. So what do you do? And yeah, that's where uh, just, it really did, honestly, not to be too dramatic, but it, I found myself, it was a little depressing because I've, I've enjoyed the back-end experience of this bubble. And, and again, I applaud the league for, for getting this done. And the more I looked at it, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, you know, once this stretch is over, uh, I really have no clue, you know, when I'm going to be at a game in person again. How hard is the labor negotiation or the, the labor relations side of this going to be? And what are the challenges they face there? You know, it's, it's tough because, I mean, they, they've made it clear you know, they're going to have to talk about the uh, the CBA and, and the fact that the BRI, the basketball-related income, is going to be drastically lower. And so, you know, what do those uh, – what does the salary cap look like? What do the payments look like? But it's it's unprecedented because, technically speaking, there's not an opt-out in the CBA until after the 20. 20- 22-23 season, but you know this is uh, the type of circumstance where Adam and Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the Players Association, and, and Chris Paul and that whole group, like they got to talk about their business and they got to talk about how to you know how to how to kind of meet in the middle here and make changes to keep this league in an okay place. And you're seeing. Already, and not already, I mean, you've been seeing for quite some time the ripple effects. And I mentioned it just yesterday that the Sacramento Kings had layoffs in their basketball operations department. The Jazz have had the same, um, you know, and you've seen kind of the regular folks get hit from the pay cuts and, and, and people just little by little, every, every couple of weeks, there's another little press release or another headline that tells you that more people in the NBA community are losing their jobs. And that's where, you know, I certainly do hope the fans can have some empathy because I get, you know, I understand the idea that your heart doesn't bleed for somebody who goes from making 25 million down to 20 million. I I get that for sure. But within the ecosystem of the NBA, you know, you have that $70,000 a year uh, PR person who really enjoyed their job and then lost it. And then, you know, had to scramble and figure something else out and, and, and so, you know, that's part of what's happening within the league, too. Sam Amick with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Uh, heaven forbid, Sam, uh, uh, we lose our jobs at some point. May our uh, time without a job be as short as Doc Rivers. Amazing that he's already <laughs> now the head coach yeah. of the Philadelphia 76ers. That's wild. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially because it, it seemed like the Sixers were initially they were, they were really high on Billy Donovan. And my understanding a couple weeks ago was that, you know, Billy – was probably ahead of Mike D'Antoni on their list, but they had interest in Mike too. But, you know, then Doc Rivers becomes unexpectedly available and, and Philly ends up going that direction. Um, you know, I, I like the hire. I honestly, as much as I like D'Antoni, that made no sense to me. I mean, the idea of bringing Mike in where, you know, his calling card recently has been small ball and spreading that floor and three and D and, you know, this is a Philly team that has a fantastic big man and, and a point guard who can't shoot. You know, and so that's not necessarily tailor made for what Mike's done recently. But then with Doc, uh, you know, I think he's he is a connector of players. Um, but I have questions too. I mean, honestly, he didn't. You know, it's not a an easy challenge. But I don't think he did a great job of of finding ways for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to to be better leaders within their environment. You know, Doc himself has a, a one-of-a-kind voice, and, and he used that in full force in the bubble, you know, both on and off the court. But, you know, he's got to find a way to, to unite guys in the Sixers locker room in a similar way that, that he was trying to with the Clippers and ultimately was unsuccessful. Who would be a good fit for the Rockets, Sam? Well, I mean... The easy one would be, um, just in terms of ideologies, I guess, is, you know, Alan Gentry, um, I think, will have a crack at it. You know, gets fired by New Orleans and, and actually replaced Mike D'Antoni in Phoenix years ago and got to the conference finals with the Suns. And, you know, so, you know, they could pick up where they left off with Alvin. And from there, you know, Ty Lue was getting consideration from the Rockets, but it certainly looks now like uh, part of me thinks that I'd be surprised if Ty doesn't take that Clippers shot. Um, you know, Jeff Van Gundy's another name that you know, I think Jeff ultimately lands somewhere. Um, but, you know, I don't know. And the Rockets, they're in a tough spot because that roster is talented as it is. And I think one thing we're still kind of sleeping on is that the D'Antoni departure had as much to do with, I think, his view of the roster as it did the, the interpersonal dynamics with the owner, Tillman Fertitta, and you know, and things of that nature. But Russ and James, you know, it's just it's a lot of money to two players who are going to get you a lot of wins in the regular season. But what's the ceiling on the group? And so, you know, for the better coaches. They look at that stuff, and if they don't see championship possibility, then you know then they end up a lot of times looking elsewhere. Sam, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate you jumping on with us, and uh, let's let's hope the Heat rebound to make this a series. You got it, Jake. Thanks, man. Have Thanks, a good buddy. Week. You too. That's our friend Sam Amick. Check out his latest at the Athletic, and uh, absolutely, his his latest is worth looking at. Um, if particularly you're a, you're a dude like me who likes kind of the scene behind the scene because 
Well, Adam Silver, as you heard Sam talk about yesterday, he talked a lot, but he really doesn't have a lot of answers. I mean, he doesn't. There's a lot that needs to happen uh, before the start of next season. And I asked him specifically about the labor negotiations because I I think, you know, that can get a little tricky because uh, you've got to figure out a way to. You can't strictly go by the letter of the CBA. It's not possible because basketball-related income is is going to fall off the cliff, regardless of the bubble and, and finishing the year. That helps a little bit, but it, it, you know, if you went by the letter of the law, the salary cap next year is going to be it's going to go down. You know, whatever it would be, fifteen twenty percent. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and basically, you can't do that. So do you tear up the CBA? I mean, you, you've got to figure those things out first, and then you tackle the the issues of. Where are they going to play? Are they going to play in front of fans? Then you, you have to get that figured out before you even get to the COVID stuff. So, or or actually, you probably do it simultaneously because the players have to sign off on that too. But, I mean, it's there's so much that's got to happen. Yeah, and then I think it's feasible for them to play in all 30 NBA cities if the government officials there in each of those cities says, yeah, go ahead, without fans. The question becomes is all 30 cities going to allow a basketball game to be played in those cities, even if there are no fans? I don't know. Because each jurisdiction is so different from the other. But no fans matters a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. So so why would you have all that expense of 30 different cities, 30 different uh, teams employing people if there's no income coming in from it? And who does that, whose pocket does that come out of? That's if you want to really simplify this, the, the revenue is is going way down. So who who takes the hit? Is it the owners or the players? Now, in baseball, it's the owners because they didn't re- renegotiate anything. They just said, we're going to proceed and play without fans and we'll pay you what we owe you. But it's basically guaranteed that there's going to be a strike or a lockout. Lockout, right. not a strike. Yeah. Basically guaranteed that as soon as this is said and done and the CBA is up, they're going to lock it out and the players are going to, or excuse me, the owners are going to figure out a way to make up that revenue. The NBA doesn't want that. And you heard Sam about the opt-out of the, the current CBA is not for, what do you say, two more years? Yes. So you can't really go on business as usual because the players aren't, or excuse me, God, I keep mixing it up, sorry. The owners aren't going to want to fit the entire bill. So they've got to figure out a, a way to evenly split the the revenue deficit but you don't even know what that's going to be or if you're going to be able to have fans or what. I mean, these are like really impossible questions, and they're going to have a month to figure it out, yeah. a couple of weeks to figure it out. And it's extra sticky because it's really no one's fault. Right. Like in years past, you could pick a side probably, owners or players. But in this scenario, it's like, well, who, who's to blame? Nobody. So, But someone, that's the whole idea of lawyers, is right. the Players Association doesn't want to take the hit. The owners don't want to take the hit, and you have to kind of find a way to agree. You have to split it. And that's why, actually, uh, Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul, I think, have been really good through all of this because they basically said, all right, I know we got to do some good faith stuff. Uh, we know what's on the line. We'll figure it out, and we'll get the players on board to proceed and weather this storm as best we can. At least they're realistic like that. Like the Major League Baseball players and owners, for that matter, are, are dumb because you're – you're basically because you can't get along, you're going to sacrifice a whole season, half a season, where nobody's making anything. There's some belief it won't happen till 2022. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Had they just been able to say, okay, 
well, we know we're both going to take a hit out of this because uh, the, the revenue is not going to be there. So let's just figure it out and we'll both be miserable together. And basically they're ensuring the doom of baseball for an extended period of time, which is ridiculous. It's crazy. The NBA has been way better. Yep. And the NFL has been better at that matter too. All right. Uh, coming up next, we'll we'll play a few more cuts from Kyle Whittingham's press conference today. We'll uh, switch back into college football mode. We've got the Not Sports Port at 450, Stuart, uh, Stuart Mandel at 5 o'clock. And then at uh, 530, we'll talk to Scott Golbranson about the Oakland Raiders. Stay tuned. More Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.